0: Hello, and welcome to the August edition of Rich Pickings, Fidelity's asset allocation podcast. I'm Richard Edgar, and today I'm heading back to our offices in the rain. You might be able to hear it. Has the long, hot summer in the UK come to an end? It certainly feels like it today. But is the long bull run in markets coming to an end? Well, that's a rather more difficult question, one that the team tries to answer in this month's discussion. Turkey features, of course, along with China's policy decisions. Are they enough? And how long can the US keep motoring along? Listen on for some rich pickings. Joining me in the studio are three of the multi-asset team who've had a day to digest the asset allocation meeting. Anna Stubnitska, global economist, portfolio manager George F. Stathopoulos and James Bateman, chief investment officer. Now, we always start with an off-topic and yet probing question. Anna, If you could become an instant expert in anything, what would it be?
1: Uh, That would be astronomy. An astronomer? Yeah.
0: Uh, Always looking into the stars and wondering thus far, but you could be telling us about it in future. George, I wave my rich pickings, one, to make you an instant expert in... Speaking the Turkish language. Is this professionally or, or a personal interest? Probably a bit of both.
2: Um... Being Greek, Turkey is is, is a neighbour, and at the same time, Turkey is in the eye of the storm. And I'd like to see if everything is tamam or not tamam. Tamam is okay in Turkish.
0: Ah, oh, very good. <laughs> okay, we'll come to that, I'm sure. Uh, fresh from his holiday, James, um, you'd like to become an instant armchair expert in... So I was torn between two, Richard. So either um early 20th century British art
3: or um theoretical physics. So, you know, either or. You already either are would an
0: expert in early 20th century not art. Not enough of an
3: expert, I'd say.
0: Excellent. Okay, right, well, let's get on um, to uh, the business now. Uh, James, let's start with the allocation headlines this month. What's uh, what's the news, or indeed, is there any? Well, I guess what's interesting, Richard,
3: is um, a lot's been going on in markets, particularly in the last few days. Um real concerns building real worries we spent hours debating and discussing and decided to make no changes to our positioning very exciting um, now i think you know you have to characterize that in light of the fact that we had de-risked we'd moved neutral equities a couple of months ago with the view that there would be volatility over summer there is volatility over the summer period we were sat in the meeting actually almost questioning why aren't we more worried about that and i think the answer was we'd whilst we had no idea what the catalyst would be and we certainly didn't think it was going to be turkey no one had, had said that three months ago the fact of the matter is um, we had expected something, something has happened, and we're very much sitting back waiting to see what happens. Um, Could lead us to de-risk more, could lead us to um, buy assets on um, weakness okay and rattle us through what the allocations are if you can sure so we are we're neutral equities we're overweight cash and we're underweight fixed income at in, in a broad asset class sense within the regions we are and um, we've got very few positions on we're underweight the uk we continue to be underweight the uk um, and we're overweight japan and japan's clearly a very good risk off area including the currency
0: okay and now for something completely different You may recognise this glissando of shepherd tones, an aural effect that keeps on rising higher and higher, building tension, anticipation that something has to happen, but it never does. Can anyone see where I'm going with this? Uh, yes, let's talk markets. their rise and rise, and Turkey, you've already alluded to it, James. Could it be the thing to halt this bull market for uh, for good now, George, um you described a perfect storm hitting Turkey um uh, earlier it's It's obviously not Tamam in Turkey. what What did you mean?
2: Well, Turkey has actually been one of those countries that has been identified with a lot of external vulnerabilities as we have been seeing liquidity being drained from the system you know the fed raising rates the dollar being strong and turkey does have a vulnerabilities what has happened in more recent months is which is a bit different and has led to the sort of more recent sell off is lack of credibility after the um the, the change we've seen at the central bank um and at the same time a political situation that is making um investors very very uncomfortable
0: with the us you mean with the us indeed so where is it going? How, how do you all feel about Turkey? Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a situation that is changing a lot day by day. Have you changed your view on the country? James, so you know we don't have
3: uh, material debt dra- positioning just just in Turkey, anyway. So we'll have emerging market exposure both from an equity and a debt perspective, but it's it's broad and diversified. And I think our starting point is when situations are this fluid and moving this fast, that's not the time to make rapid changes in a portfolio. So I think you know w- when I think about Turkey and I think about its implications, I'm not really focused on the first derivative impact which is turkish stocks or turkish bonds i'm thinking if it really goes wrong if the situation really does get out of control what are the second and third derivative impacts so european financials for example contagion risk into other emerging markets and and i guess that's how we're thinking more broadly and i think we're trying to balance that and the, the the fact that maybe we want to reduce some risk there in 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 prospect of something potentially happening with the fact that maybe it won't and actually maybe this is a storm in a teacup and and six weeks to eight weeks down the line the
2: market will have moved on
0: back to a positive narrative George do you agree is 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 this um, a, is there a risk of contagion or is it contained?
2: That is the key thing we've been debating in the team. How could the transition mechanism result in in contagion risk? And as James mentioned, it could be actually through the banks, if the banks actually stop lending into other parts of the market, especially to emerging markets, for instance, that have a lot of external debt, debt, a lot of dollar, for instance, hard currency debt.
0: But is Turkey an isolated case, the way that it's going wrong? Does that matter? Is it idiosyncratic?
2: Definitely a lot of elements of idiosyncratic risk in the sense that cred- you know, credibility, lack of, or the political situation. Um, m- most of other emerging market countries don't have both. They might have one, they might have the other, but don't have both. So from that perspective, a bit more idiosyncratic. But we still do worry about that big, the potential of contagion
0: risk. And Anna, what do you think?
1: I think... Um Turkey is uh, a systemic country in the sense that uh, um, uh, the crisis has the potential to spill over to um, other markets particularly to uh, those countries that are also quite vulnerable such as um, South Africa, Brazil uh, perhaps some other emerging markets and it's not the story of Argentina or Venezuela that we have seen over the past uh, few years. It's big it's uh, very vulnerable um, and this is all happening in the environment where uh, global liquidity is getting withdrawn uh, so far by the Fed, but also next year by the ECB um, and some other big central banks. So I think uh, we shouldn't be complacent about it, uh, particularly in the late stage of the cycle where other risks uh, um, are
0: intensifying. And if it were to spread... Where would be next, do you think?
1: Well, uh, perhaps uh, the, the most vulnerable EM, South Africa, Brazil, um, uh, overall atam uh, uh, perhaps uh, s- Central Europe as well, even though they do have the ECB potentially um, helping. but uh, You
0: mentioned Brazil. That really would matter, wouldn't it? It's a large economy.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very big. Again, um, exposure uh, of foreign investors uh, to corporate debt, to, uh, sovereign debt uh, is uh, big plus they, they still don't have a stable political situation
0: and james what could trigger this contagion what are you looking for um as uh, you talked about a very fluid situation in turkey but um what could what could make this spread
3: so i mean i i think the the Interesting thing is, you never quite know why you get contagion because actually it's, it's sentiment and it's panic and it's essentially a, a, that the average narrative, the average market participants' narrative, shifting from we've got an isolated problem to one that p- could be more systemic. So, um, you know, one thing that could clearly make it more systemic is simply um, eurozone banks being forced to write down um, or write off Turkish debt, and that would have a massive impact on Europe. It would also, though, have a big impact on. Uh, other emerging countries where I think the market would start saying what if this is next and I think Brazil is a clear example where that could happen that the market says okay we understand what's happened in Turkey very bad where's it going to be next it's going to be um, Brazil. Um, the bigger risk in that is not just that it happens to those countries but that actually you get a massive negative sentiment across all emerging markets indiscriminately. We saw um, you know, Indian currency sell off um, quite substantially um, on the Turkish news, and you look at that, and you think, well, actually, India is not in the same situation. But the market sentiment is depressing everywhere, um, and that—that's what makes it both more systemic, but actually more, more in term, bigger impact in terms of the overall market. Anna,
1: I just want to add that this this contagion that uh, James is talking about is is not going to just spread to EM and stay there. Um, this is, this has the potential to be such a big financial shock that it would spread to. DM, uh, markets, um, uh, including the US, and would tighten financial conditions so dramatically that it could affect economic growth elsewhere, but particularly developed markets, particularly the US.
3: And I think, if I can come in, what, 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 what's particularly interesting at the moment is the US has been almost immune to it. There's been a little bit of volatility over the last day, but basically it's been immune to it. And, and that doesn't give the US a, an incentive to help resolve the issues. Clearly, if you start seeing it impacting the US either economically or in the markets, um, that changes the US's incentives in terms of of trying
0: to resolve the Turkey crisis. And uh, both politically and in terms of policy, economic policy. Which which I don't think you can separate
3: in this this case. I think uh, the two are utterly intertwined.
0: Okay, well, let's move to the bigger picture. Anna, you said in your briefing yesterday that the US sets conditions for the rest of the world. China sets the growth agenda for the rest of the world. It's, It's a mixed picture for China at the moment, isn't it?
1: Uh, it is mixed Uh, growth has uh, definitely been slowing Um, as we know the uh, big stimulus that we saw in 2016 has been uh, slowly uh, withdrawn so uh, investment in infrastructure uh, has fallen uh, quite dramatically Um, and um, we see that um, some of the activity indicators are also slowing Um, uh, on the other hand um, uh, there's been some small steps uh, to try to limit the downside in growth. Uh, But there's a sense that those uh, policies directed towards fiscal and monetary easing are probably not going to be enough uh, to put a floor to the slowdown.
0: Do you you agree, George? Are they accommodative enough?
2: Probably not yet, although they have somewhat changed direction. And with change of direction also comes opportunities. So one of the areas that we've actually been discussing in the team is Asian credit. China high yield, China credit, and that's been one of the part of the uh, one part of the market that has actually sold off significantly since the beginning of the year, a low more than European high yield, for instance, on the, on the back of the Italy situation. And we've been slowly um, looking at that as an opportunity market, but we're looking then for a catalyst. And this somewhat change of direction from China, we think, has put a bit of a stop in the spread winding environment. Now, yields are actually very attractive.
0: Okay, so that's China. What about um, the US then? Let's first of all hear from someone with concerns in this short clip. As usual, we've taken refuge in one of the staff kitchens here at Fidelity for a quick digression with a portfolio manager. Uh, I'm joined this time by Bill McQuaker. Bill, hello to you. Um, Hello there. The the economics look fine in the States. The Fed is on cautious manoeuvres. The S&P is up. What's not to like?
4: I think there's a variety of things not to like, actually. I'm worried that there's a a complacency surrounding the United States. As as you rightly say, a lot of good stuff has happened. But if one looks under the surface and looks to the future, as far as under the surface is concerned, the consumer apparently is fine. But if you look at the housing market and if you look at autos, uh, they are surprisingly weak for an apparently healthy economy. When I consider the things that have slowed... Other parts of the world, like the the high oil price and the fact that real interest rates have risen 100 basis points, the US is not immune from that. And it's still enjoying the benefit of the weak dollar last year, but this year the dollar has been stronger. And I think all of those things in the second half of this, this year might begin to weigh on, on the US economy. And it could be that that optimism that you describe is, has got a fairly short shelf life from here. So not as
0: good as I was painting. And um, I presume that that means that you are underweight to US.
4: Well, that's, uh, that's not the case, as we stand at the moment. Um, and that's really because my, my view this year has been that we, we want to hunker down and be somewhat defensive with our portfolio allocation. And the U.S. is a classically defensive market. So to, to this point in time, uh, I've actually liked the U.S. equity market. But for the reasons I've just articulated, uh, I think we need to reappraise that view and make a judgment of whether those defensive characteristics will be as helpful in the second half of the year as they have been in the first.
0: Bill went on to say that he asked himself every day whether the U.S. will continue to serve as a safe haven. Um, Anna, are you as concerned about America as, as he is?
1: I'm more optimistic than Bill on the U.S. economy, uh, particularly talking about uh, the, the second half of this year. Um and uh, of course, I agree that the US is in the late cycle and the things that uh, that and that bill is concerned about um, are surely the the characteristics uh, uh, of the late cycle uh, perhaps uh, consumer, the house the state of the housing market, on um, the auto sector, etc but there are two key things that support the US economy to the end of the year and potentially through 2019. And that is the fiscal support, the the fiscal boost.
0: So Trump's policies that have given such a, a lift to the economy.
1: Uh, Yes, that's right. Uh, And uh, also uh, the monetary policy. So again, if you look at the financial conditions, they still remain very accommodative. We have seen some tightening um, over the last few months, but it's still not enough to put a significant drag on US growth. So I I do agree that we're going to see a slowdown from uh, the 4% uh, growth that we saw in Q2. uh, But I don't think uh, it's going down to trend or below trend. It's not going to be uh, very rapid. So I'm more optimistic for the end of the year.
0: So all things being equal, James, um, certainly nothing to knock markets. That it sh- it should plow on. I mean, in- you
3: know, clearly an event or sentiment could knock the market, and its its upward trajectory um, has been um, almost unbroken. Um, we saw a bit of wobbles in in the tech stocks not that long ago, but other than that, uh, mostly very positive. And I, and I do agree with Anna. And and you alluded to that time. I'm not long back from holiday. I was in the U.S. and, you know, the the positive sentiment there, the sense of confidence from the average consumer, is unwavering, and and ultimately, confidence is a large part of what drives the economy and markets, and that is positive. And therefore, I think the U.S. Um, you know, it is characteristically, typically defensive. That's good if if markets roll over, but equally, I think it could well continue to lead markets up.
2: I would just like to add on on sort of the the kind of the defensiveness of the U.S. market and. Um, my, my thinking here is that when the problems are external out of the U.S., that's when the U.S. market becomes a defensive market. If, however, the problems start boiling in within the U.S. market, I'm not sure it's going to be exactly as defensive as investors expect it to be, especially at a time when funds, investors, are at the highest allocation overweight to the U.S. equity market that they've been in a very long time. So
0: it's primed for something to go wrong, in a sense.
2: Um, That, in addition, with very
0: narrow leadership that we have seen. Um, A a very few number of stocks that are pushing the market higher. Precisely. Okay. James, you made a point in uh, the meeting about tactics and time horizons, that being underweight doesn't necessarily mean selling off today. Um, How does that play out in portfolios? So I think, you know, clearly when you're
3: you're investing, um, you're typically taking decisions on a daily basis, not on a monthly or you know, quarterly basis and on that basis you might think we're trending towards an underweight or trending towards an overweight but you've got to time those positions. And I think when we look at um, you know, emerging markets now one of the debates we had is you know, is this a buying opportunity, should we be selling at this point for example given the Turkey situation and, and I think the answer was hold fast but with a view that you need to be quite tactical on a daily basis depending on what happens and and you know, one of the things you have to think about whenever managing a portfolio is what's happened today has the market overreacted versus reality and should I therefore change my positioning? And and particularly when sentiment and short-term sentiment drives markets, the ability to take very short-term decisions when you see a, a, what effectively become is an irrational dislocation can add a lot of value.
0: Okay, and let's assume then that um, things bumble along as they uh, as they have been for the next couple of weeks or so. When should we start to be wary of a big shift in uh, uh, in sentiment? If we look over
3: the last few years, it's been very late August, early September when volatility has picked up a bit, where you've seen a bit more um, market concern. I'm not sure whether that is a kind of cliched back to school or whether that simply is people beginning to look forward to the to the next year and and looking what's going to happen in this t- in this case in 2019 rather than just focusing on 2018. So I don't know what drives it, but there clearly is a, an element of reassessment at that point. Uh, and, and I do suspect part of it is market participants mostly back in the office looking at things with a clear head, uh, reassessing. But interestingly, every single time we've seen volatility, their markets have then re- resumed their upward trend. And so um, I think it would be very, very... Um, worrying if you took the view that because that was happening or because that might happen you're substantially risk off.
0: George, you're about to go away on holiday. Are you going to be happy to switch on your out of office uh, reply uh, until you come back? I I guess so, when when one goes on holidays, I guess they're always happy to do that. But uh, you know, one has you know, definitely
2: has to be um on on top of things even even when away because it is August, there is lack of liquidity and things are moving. What I would be looking at is to what extent we see this spread widening environment continue. And if we see also currencies across emerging markets continue to devalue, that would probably then lead to neg- more negative sentiment, could potentially lead to outflows for emerging markets. That would make me worry a little bit
0: more. Okay, well, we're almost out of time, but not before we play hotcakes and hot potatoes. What would you buy with enthusiasm like a hot cake and what would you drop like a hot potato, Anna?
1: Uh, So my hot cake is the Japanese yen versus the dollar. Um, I think it has um, uh, both the fundamental reasons uh, to to be stronger relative to where it is now, uh, but also, of course, the sentiment reason. It's it's one of the uh, safe havens um, out there in case of uh, any shocks or crisis. And my hot potato would be um, Latin American equities, uh, um, emerging market equities within uh, LATAM, uh, perhaps versus Asia, um, going back to the theme that we discussed uh, on vulnerabilities within the um, um And also, uh, they have already done quite well. So I think um, that would be something I to sell.
0: Think absolutely. Okay, George, your hotcakes.
2: My hotcakes would be MLPs, which stands for Mastered Limited Partnerships. Essentially, it is a relatively cheap way to play the energy uh, markets especially as we're in late cycle and energy prices have been uh, gradually grinding upwards and it's also a way to play that market with a very attractive
0: and high yield and i've got to ask what is a master limited partnership i don't i don't know
2: it's essentially pipelines midstream pipelines in the us it's essentially the pipelines
0: that um, that transport oil so not the extraction companies uh not um the oil itself but the means of getting it around precisely which means they have
2: decent correlation with uh with oil prices but at the same time some immunity from big from big volatility
3: and james your hotcakes so i'm going to be um pretty short term in in my views on this so my my hotcake is u.s tips so u.s um inflation protected treasuries um they provide typically long duration good hedge if, if markets fall from here and inflation protection, and I'm still worried about inflation getting out of control partly driven by the the constant grinding up of, of oil it's prices. Been a theme of yours in recent yeah, it months. It has. It's not going to change probably. Then on the on the, on the the hot potato side, it's European equities and really European financials um, which worry me because there is this contagion risk from Turkey, and I think whether or not Turkey completely gets out of control, you could see a material very short-term downward re-rating of them on the concerns of what would happen happen if there is a full-blown turkey crisis. We went through
0: the surprising levels of exposure that there are as well. But um, anyway, thank you very much indeed for that, James. Um, that's all for this month's podcast. Join us again next month when we hope still to be ascending gradually without resolution but you never know. Uh, if you'd like more detail on the thinking behind this month's asset allocation, it's published in full on our website and if you'd like to discuss anything we've covered just ask your Fidelity contact. Thank you very much indeed to my guests, Anna, George and James and Bill in the kitchen. And thanks to you for listening. Goodbye.
4: forward slash about hyphen fidelity.